let us tell you a story. A story that will challenge, inspire, and change the way you see the world. We're your hosts. I'm Danny Goulden. And I'm Kyle Brown. And this is Sacred Sit-Downs. A conversational podcast that explores how the Spirit of God moves within this world through the power of story. In today's episode, we will sit down with a member or friend of Geist Christian Church as they share their dynamic, faith-filled story. We hope that you will be enlightened and inspired by the words shared today as we gain deeper understanding of ourselves and the world around us. This is Sacred Sit-Downs. Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to have you with us today. Today, we have uh, Max Michael. Max uh, is a member here at Geist Christian Church. Max is uh, retired from the environmental field, but what I know about Max is uh, he has a heart for service, loves doing mission. Uh, He loves uh, creating board games, playing board games, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later. Uh, and he also has a passion for uh, history, um, all types of history, but primarily he loves the Revolutionary War time period within American history. And so we're going to, uh, we've got a wide range of topics to talk about today, and we're so glad to have Max with us. Uh, this is going to be great. Max, hello. Glad you're here. Um, thanks for being here and spending some time with us today and with our listeners. And um, we're all in for a treat. So maybe to get started, tell us a little bit just of your story and faith. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the Disciples of Christ Church. Uh, Dad got us up every Sunday, made sure we go to church. Uh, even when I brought my college roommate home and we stayed up a little late one night, uh, went to church the next day. He was quite pleased to wake us up, I think. That's impressive. Where was this at? Uh, Pendleton Christian Church. Okay. Uh, it was. We were in no shape to go to church. It was the longest sermon ever. Uh, but uh, I think Dad smiled throughout the whole time because he knew exactly what he's doing. But yeah, my earliest memories are uh, are putting on uncomfortable clothes because back in the day you had Sunday clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uncomfortable shoes and walking to church, about three blocks to walk to church. Was it uphill both ways? Uh, in the snow. Oh, man. Gosh. Yeah. Rain and sleet. Mm. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, and, and, uh, and then after church, uh, we'd have, you know, traditional... Sunday dinner, and then uh, clear off the dishes, and Dad would count them offering because uh, there was no Ooh, direct that's an deposit. Yeah, right, right. No direct deposit, no online giving. No, it was checks and uh, and cash. And he hated those little fold up boxes that you hand out to the kids mm-hmm. and they put coins in. Mm-hmm. You have to count all those pennies and nickels and dimes. So the Sundays you had the noisy offering where they told everyone to bring all their pennies yeah. and put it in the box. That was not a fun, it was not, not a fun day for your dad. No, he wasn't too happy. No. Now on Sunday evenings, did you have uh, a typical meal that you all would share, or or that was that was right after that was after church. Okay, that, that was that was lunch. Okay, the big fried chicken, mashed potatoes, good stuff. So your dad would eat and then count the offering. Yeah. Wow. Priorities. I couldn't function after Sunday. I mean, I remember Sunday lunch, just want to take a nap. Well, this is, you know, the interesting thing is dad would sit down, get the offering out, light up a cigar and get out a beer and count the offering. Nice. And and when I tell my Wesleyan friends that, they're like, oh, no, smoking (laughs) and drinking. I said, yeah, and it's the same kitchen table he played poker with his buddies on. So, yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting perspective that kitchen table got used for lots of things jimmy buffett says there's a thin line between saturday night and sunday morning <laughs> so you said uh your wesleyan friends did you 
I, w- I went to Indiana Wesleyan University. Okay. Uh, back in the day, it was called Marion College, I-O-N, up in Marion. And uh, I went there for a couple of reasons. One was when I went to visit, the uh, the guys I met were just like instant friends. So it was just comfortable. That's also, awesome. it was it, even then, it was a tiny, tiny college. It's 10 times bigger now. Uh, and uh, it just felt manageable. But one of the big things was I could get out in three years. And, you know, the tragedy of my life is I'm good at school and I don't like school. So there you go. I can get out in three years. Sounds like a good deal to me. So what was it like going to school there? It was interesting. Another reason I went there is because I had a lot of friends that went to IU. Okay. And they came back after a semester and didn't go back. Uh, so, you know, that's like, okay, maybe not go there. Maybe go someplace where there's nothing to do but study. And there wasn't anything else to do but study because there's no card playing, no dancing, no movies. Locked you in. lived Footloose. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, wow. yeah, pretty much. Were and you all good dancers, like in Footloose? No, no but there, it wasn't allowed. You just, just you didn't do any of those things. Well, that's yeah. the ironic thing about Footloose is in a town uh, where you can't dance, everybody's like an excellent dancer. Like how is I've yeah, always wondered that, that so I didn't know yeah. if you had that. No, I never even thought about the movie. There are some really yeah, when good they're finally dance. able to dance, it's like they're all like champion dancers. It's amazing. It's just all pent up. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Well, they they also had this, and may still have it. They had this great reputation of everyone that went into, uh, everyone that graduated from their pre med program. Three out of four of their applicants got into medical school. Wow. At the time, that's what I thought I was going to do, but that uh, I decided against that. So what what made that shift for you? Uh, well, the second semester of organic chemistry didn't help. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the. Uh, um, not, you know, a middle child overachiever. My mom was a nurse. Oh, you're a good student. You should be a doctor. It's like, okay, I guess. Studied really hard, and I just decided I didn't like hospitals and sick people too much. So I thought, well, you know, what else can I do with this degree? It's like, well, you know, I'll apply to dental school. It's like, so I spent six months at IU Dental School learning I didn't want to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they taught me that really well. Uh, and then the environmental field opened up with the passage of Superfund, and I got to wear a hazmat suit and walk around vats of nasty chemicals. And, Mm. That's and, just scary. Walking around, ha- like oh, it's it's fun. What is fun about? Do that? you feel invincible in a hazmat suit? Yeah, like, you know, you're you're twenty one, twenty two, and you're in a hazmat suit, and it's it's like being an astronaut, man. You got the Darth Vader breath going. It's, it's awesome. So, like, where did you do this at? Like, oh, all over the Midwest. I worked for a private company that had a contract with EPA. And so, your job was to go in and uh, identify the issue or clean up the issue. Well, well, we were just identifying. We're taking samples and okay. and categorizing it and, and all these things. Back before there's regulations, there's like, you know, vats and vats and drums and drums of hazardous chemicals laying around that people just kind of hid away. Like what kind of chemical? Like, oh, where, the, where does this stuff go? Like, how do you oh, fix? Well, 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 after we characterize it, then the, the next, this is where Superfund comes in. Gotcha. And the EPA pays for disposal. It's either incineration or it's or it's a solidification and just all, all, all this kind of technical stuff. Yeah. Was the EPA fairly new then? Like how old was well, the, yeah, EPA? the EPA? Is like 1972, right? With Nixon. Right. I was about so to say. So this is Superfund new. in 1980 when when all the regulations come out on how to dispose of hazardous waste and all that kind of stuff comes around. Before then, you could just kind of. Stick it in the warehouse. And not worry about there was it. no guidance at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is kind of scary. Wild, wild west out right. there. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. So imagine that people made messes. Yeah. Mm. 
And your job was to identify those messes. You know, and then- if people didn't make a mess or make mistakes or things didn't break, I would have had to get a different job. Yeah. It's a good point. So, yeah. So at what point in life did you and Dana find Guys Christian Church? Uh, we had uh, moved here in 88. And, uh, uh, you know, we had, and uh, so I was sleeping in and she was church shopping. And uh, she, she went to, she was doing the work for you. Yeah, she goes. I'm going to church. It's like, well, okay, go ahead. I'm still banking on the every Wednesday chapel at mm-hmm. Indiana Wesleyan. So you'd kind of been out of church from that well, point from growing we, up in Pendleton, and then well, well, Dana kept going to school, and then we ended up getting married, and uh, we lived in Elkhart for three years. Okay, and then moved and here. In okay, so yeah, it goes from. It, I'm running around in hazmat suit when I'm living in Chicago, and she's going to vet school. Then we moved to Elkhart. We find Elkhart Christian Church, enjoyed that immensely. Uh, move here, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to take a break. So Dana's shopping around. She found Guy's Christian Church in the Yellow Pages. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And there was like a building by the time we joined. Yeah. Yeah, we were missed being charter members by like a couple of years. Wow. Yeah, if you were 88 around there, yeah. The the building, yeah, which is the... <coughs> the Great the Hall now. The Great yeah. Hall now, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And there probably was not, there was not much out at the area at that point, right? At 86 and Mud Creek? The, the, right now, yes, it's about the same. It's about the same. What has blown up is McCordsville and Fortville right. and Fishers. Right. right. Yeah. Because, I mean, it it was surprising. I, I, as, as I understand the story is Mud Creek, uh, it took a lot of work to even get a church in that spot because they really wanted it to be all residential. They did not want any church or business to be there. And then where uh, for 79th and Fall Creek, they didn't. They thought that was a floodplain. They didn't really want Kroger or any of that. You had to be on stilts. Um, I believe there used to be a uh, Talk to Tucker uh, residential uh, mm-hmm. real estate that had to be – you had to have it on pillars uh, in case it did flood, oh, like you would see flood, if you were yeah. at the beach. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's drastically changed in that area. So uh, you and Dana, you guys have two daughters, right? That's right. Two beautiful, brilliant, brave daughters. Uh Allison is a chemist in uh, Vermont, and uh, Kinsey is in uh, southern uh, Indianapolis and applying to med school. That's oh, amazing. wonderful. So, Max, one of the things that I know you love, because um, we've we've chatted about it, uh, is, is board games. Uh, you love board games. You have a passion for it. Not only do you enjoy playing, but you have created board games with friends. You travel all over to um, events uh, where other board game creators go and you swap stories. Um, how did you get into to board games? Oh, um, my grandparents on my, my dad's parents played uh, aggravation, which is basically sorry or trouble. And they played for blood. So, you know, you're, you're six years old and you put your marble in the middle. You better watch it. You know, because they're gonna they're gonna get it. Uh, you learn early on in early life. This on, is serious. This is serious stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I I can't remember not playing board games. Yeah. But your level of board. So you have educated me on board games, right? Because I I love Monopoly. Monopoly I'm is. Sorry. I, I, I know you say I'm this sorry. every time My when I say. My family loves Monopoly. I was going to ask Max about Monopoly I, too. I'm but, sorry. Yeah. I love Monopoly. Uh, it's it's cutthroat. Uh, I love playing it with youth, and they try to gang up and, and have at, at times tried to beat me. I turn into another person 
when I play that game. It's not pretty. Uh, all my values that I out the bring, worst it, in it, you. it brings out the worst in me. Um, I it, turn into somebody I don't like. I've got the coffee cup that says, if you don't lose friends playing board games, you're not board gaming hard enough. Mm. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but so you say I'm sorry because are, are you saying unchecked capitalism brings out the worst in you? Is <laughs> that, that there is? Uh, that's probably a podcast for another day. Probably so. Um, probably so. But some of the games that you play, there there is a a, a style of game that uh, not only do you create but you play that is a little different than Monopoly. If you could kind of share us a little bit, like how those games are played, what what makes them different, and and why they bring joy to you. Well. Yeah. First, I shouldn't be too harsh. At least you're playing a game, even if it's Monopoly. Right. So you've, you've got I, that social thing going on in the real you. world. You're not you're not staring at a screen. Uh, you're, you're behaving in an analog way, and and, and so yeah, that's it, that's all good. The trouble is, there's there's so many more better games than Monopoly out there, and they're European style games or Euro mm-hmm. games, and the ones most familiar folks will be Ticket to Ride or uh, Catan. And uh, Catan was brought over in the 80s uh, from Germany. Uh, Germany has this huge tradition of uh, making board games. And the best explanation I have for the difference between American-style game, Monopoly-style games and Euro-style games is what if in Monopoly, <clears throat> instead of rolling your dice and moving your man and you land in a space and you do what that space says, what if instead you could choose? I can move my, I can move my meeple. I can collect rent, I can buy property, I can buy a house, or I can mm. draw a card. Choose three of those. And next turn, you can't choose one of them again. Mm. Okay? So that's the best explanation I've got for the difference. So it's games of choice. Mm-hmm. And the choices change how? The choices change sometimes. Basically, it's uh, what properties are on offer will change, mm-hmm. right? Or Or their price will go down the longer they're up there. So you've got... You got these choices to make, uh, rather than roll and move, and and the game tells you what to do or gives you that opportunity to do one thing. That's helpful because I was going to ask what the difference is, but it sounds like it is a uh, the the game changes as you move along depending on the choices that people make and that they don't make. Right? I mean, the equation changes yes. in sort of the European style games, where Monopoly it's just sort of a game of yeah, roll and move and lock and right. Um, that's a good. That's helpful because my. I, what's interesting about board games is I feel, Max and and you may correct me on this. I feel like they have come back around as something that is fun for people to do. Like my family, my two daughters, my wife and I, um, we love playing board games. And we were at the beach, you know, a few weeks ago on vacation and played Ticket to Ride, and we did play Monopoly, um, but. But my kids love – they're the ones that say, hey, let's do this. And I think that's um, – I just felt like there was a lull in my life in playing games until I kind of had kids again, and they're all into it, which has been really good. But it feels like in general that, that more people are playing board games again. Is that true or – It's very true. Gen Con just occurred uh, last weekend, mm-hmm. two yeah. weekends ago, and uh, biggest tenants ever, right? And when – I first started going Gen Con decades ago. Everybody kind of looked like me, right? Now there's family. cool, super cool, super cool dudes. Yep. Yeah, you know, and right. uh, and and or nerds or geeks or something. But they, but now it's families, 
and very pleased to see uh, more diversity and very pleased to see more women uh, uh, playing board games. So it's, it's grown tremendously. It's uh, I, I think a couple of things have, have done that one is we're sort of over the digital integration of things into mm. our lives. Uh, we go to work, stare at a screen for a large percentage of, of the day. Uh, we don't want to do that again. Um, through, uh, through zoom and other kind of things where we've got less human interaction. Uh, so it's a very social, uh, very social activity. Uh, and one you can have a laugh over and, uh, and my good friend, Doug Eckhart, that designed one of the games I published, uh, says when you make that move, you feel clever. Mm. Um, so, so I think it touches a lot of that basic human need kind of, kind of thing. And I'm glad to see it really taken off. So Max sent us a game. It was called Moshikoro. I think I pronounced that correct, um, or as best I can. Uh, it is much like Monopoly, but it's based on cards, roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you build your own board. You basically build your own oh, board nice. to try to win the Fun, game. Yeah. And there's four cards in front of you that you have to flip over. And we played it on a mission trip that we just went on together uh, down in kind of the Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, Madison, Dawson Spring area uh, of Kentucky that was hit by tornadoes. Uh, we and, played. And somebody won a couple of times and got real cocky. And then that win streak ended. Mm. And we're not going to talk about who started with a win streak, <laughs> but it was probably the only child uh, who maybe got a little full of himself. But uh, su- I'm surprised. This surprises no one uh, who knows me. Uh, I came home, and lo and behold, the first game we play as a family, my daughter, our daughter, uh, Miriam, won the first game. And surprised to no one super cocky just like her dad after he won his first game mm. uh but we will play that one um we uh sushi roll sushi go are two fun games that kind of um very popular yeah very popular and and she enjoys bringing those games out to teach other people uh how to play um, because they're a little different uh the problem with some of these chance games not chance but these choice games if you will uh, they're kind of heady and a little hard to to learn right away. It's much easier when somebody teaches you how to play because there's, there's just more things. There's more moving pieces in these games, which can make it a little difficult. It's just different. It's not hard. It's just different. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, You need someone to walk alongside of you. sounds like, well, once Mac showed me how to play the game, I was all in, but it, it, it's, it took a little setup and YouTube video, how to play videos are great. Mm. Oh man. YouTube does pretty much answer all our questions it does indeed so what's the what's the best uh movie adaptation of a board game and tell me why it's clue <laughs> no i that, do love that movie clue i went to, when i was horrible a, when i was a kid i saw i went to the theater three or three times to see all three endings it's, it's horrible sad. it's horrible was it tim curry we was went the, as a family to flicks last year my kids because we like playing clue too i mean i love that movie it was oh, i was so good is the game horrible start, start, or the movie? What or movie, both? The movie's horrible. Okay. The, the, the game's actually. I think the game actually started in Europe as Cluedo. So it's so I think that's so, yeah. so that's that's like if people know Clue, they kind of know the vibe of Euro games, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's Colonel Mustard. I can just tell you that right now. With the candlestick with the candlestick in the conservatory. In the cons- oh, I love oh, the conservatory. I've never lived anywhere with a conservatory. I'd like to. Next time I do really well at Monopoly, I'm buying a conservatory <laughs> instead of a hotel. So I know there is so much more that we could talk about games. I know you have traveled to Germany almost yearly for their big uh, event, 
uh, of board games. They're Gen Con, basically. That's three times bigger than than what we wow, have here. Yeah. And, wow. Um, I would like for you to share uh, one of the games that you've created so that people can uh, be aware. Of, I mean, I, I think it's one thing to play a game. It's another thing to, to have one as a, yeah. that ability to create something. Oh, let's see if any are still in print because it's been, it's been a minute. Oh, they can probably still get uh, Credit Mobilier from Rio Grande, which is a uh, train game uh, okay. where you build track and move goods and buy stock. And there's enough luck in it that I can win. There's Oh, there's a couple of games on uh, at Simply Fun that I've had a hand in. Uh, one's called Let's. One's called Pack It, where you're uh, packing your uh, backpack. Oh, fun! And then you go on a hike. If the bear comes, he eats everybody's granola bars. Uh, <laughs> so there's there's that one. The bear doesn't eat the people, just the granola bars. Well, the original version, um, the uh, folks with the heaviest backpacks lost all their goods because they got caught. Well, sure. Right? Yeah. Oh, they couldn't outrun the but bear. That yeah. that was seen as a little mean, so we had to change it up a little bit. Change it up a little bit. The other passion of yours, other than games, is, is history. I know you have traveled extensively. I'm curious. Uh, I did mention uh, kind of the Revolutionary War era. What what about that era for you is uh, is so enticing for you? Well, you had me choose. I mean, it's French and Indian War and Revolutionary War and World War Two and you know, so anything Civil in history, War, you love, right? Yeah, but uh, the Revolutionary War has got some some unique kind of aspects to it. One is it's a it's a bunch of rich folks to decide to rebel against the government. Not not aware of that happening very often. I mean, the French Revolution, everyone's starving; they don't have anything to lose. These folks have a lot to lose, and the uh, the fact that you know our our founding fathers, you know, yeah, they're marble icons, but they're people, and the more you read about them, the more you realize they're they're people, and they're not all knowing, and they're not perfect. But when the crisis comes, or when it's a test of character, they come through, you know. And so that's that's interesting to see. I mean, the fact that um, you know Washington starts the French and Indian War when he's twenty four. By uh, leading a patrol into what he considered was Virginia and the French considered was New France, out in uh, near Pittsburgh, uh, and he and his militia and his Indians ambushed a bunch of Frenchmen, a bunch of French soldiers uh, eating breakfast. Uh, there's no war declared. This is a, a border incident, if you want, and he starts it, um, and all of his journals are all full about how wonderful he is. And it's like, well, he's the one writing the journal. So, right. Or he's mm-hmm. the one usually the victor home. gets to, to, he's writing to a letter write back the history. About how right. wonderful it went, right. But uh, you know, and, and he's, you know, he owns slaves. He's, he's not, he is this ambitious young guy, uh, maybe too ambitious, but uh, when the war is nearly over and the continental army has not been paid, and the officers start to talk to him about, hey, let's just march the army up to Philadelphia and make Congress quit doing what Congress still does, uh, dither around and not do much sometimes. Um, he sits them all down, and uh, he uh, gets their attention, and he pulls out his spectacles and says, uh, not only have I gone gray in the service of my country, but almost nearly blind. So forgive me while I put on my spectacles, which you don't do in public in that mm-hmm. time period because it's a sign of physical weakness. Right. And he reads his speech to them about how much they've gone through and what their ideals are and why they've done it. 
And why do you want to throw it all away and be, just do this again? You know, just, just have a military impose its will on the people is what we're fighting against. And there's, and he basically kind of shames them and there's not a dry eye in the house. Uh, so here's a guy that could have been King, uh, and, uh, and wasn't could have stayed president forever, but didn't. So this, so at the time of crisis, uh, you get this great example. I think one of the things that's, and there's a couple of things to me that's interesting about history is I think when you study it, you realize in, in, the, in the Bible, book of Ecclesiastes, Koheleth says there's nothing new under the sun. And when you study history, you, you, you tend to see that, that, that some of the things we deal with today, because um, I think we tend to look back at history, I think you said we deify some folks, right? And and, and they were flawed, and our, our systems were flawed then, and and you know, and so I think there's this sense that we as a, a people have gotten worse in some ways, and and you realize we're actually kind of getting better. I mean, in some ways, we're getting better than we used to be. Um, we're learning, um, you know. I think America is especially is still kind of a grand experiment, right, among um, countries, and so. Um, I, I think history is always interesting because you, you know, as a kid, you think, oh, George Washington was perfect. But then as an adult and you kind of read more, you realize, he, you know, and that to me makes it even more powerful that when it counted, they were able to do what, you know, what was right. And um, because they were deeply flawed folks. Yeah. One of my favorite stories, of course, everybody knows Benedict Arnold and, you know, is this bad guy, but he's all, until then. He's a hero. He wins. He's in three big campaigns, saves the revolution at least uh, once, even before Saratoga. Uh, and then is the hero of Saratoga because, well, because he wanted to be, uh, which is another story. But, um, yeah, he gets kind of mistreated a bit by Congress. He gets passed up for promotion, and, and he gets his feelings hurt, as just about anybody would. Now, so did this fellow called General Stark. And he gets passed up from promotion and he gets his feelings hurt. So he just kind of says, okay, well, good luck, boys. I've done my bit. You're not going to promote me. You're not going to give me credit. I'm going to go back home. Well, Stark goes back home and then Burgoyne comes down the Hudson River, uh, sends a few hundred Hessians and Brunswickers out to raid the countryside and forage and get food for the army. And uh, the militia says, hey, General Stark, why don't you lead us up to, to stop this this raiding going on in our, in our farms. He's like, okay. So he's got 500 militia or so. And then here comes a continental general, uh, Lincoln with, uh, with a couple of hundred, uh, continental soldiers. And he goes, I'm in charge. And Stark just looks at him and goes, I don't work for you anymore. Uh, but if you want to join my 600 guys with your couple hundred guys, you can tag along if you like. So those two guys put their egos behind the cause. You know, mm. it's like, we're, fine, let's just agree to get along and, and go against the common enemy and not worry about who's in charge here. And they win that battle, and that's the start of, the, of winning the Battle of Saratoga, which brings France into the war and, and changes things drastically. So here's, here's two people. I mean, Arnold gets his feeling hurt uh, repeatedly and, and takes one route. Stark gets treated not quite the same, but similarly, and takes another route. And, uh, but when the cause needs him, he says, "Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not worry about the past. I'm gonna go forward. I'm not gonna worry about this other guy that says, you know, 
I'm in charge. It's like, no, you're not the boss of me, but we can work together here and, uh, and not worry about the personal issues and go forward on what's important. So this love of history, where did that come from? I'm doing what, again, one of my earliest, uh, memories is riding my bicycle to the public library, the Carnegie library in town. And, uh, on the basement floor, there's the row of the green books, right. Of, you know, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all those biographies. And, uh, you know, in the summer when you're eight and you live in Pendleton and there's three channels on TV. <laughs> and you have to get up from your seat to change them. <laughs> yes. If there's not golf on and you're allowed to change them, right. um, you find something to do. Uh, Kyle mentioned that you all were on the mission trip earlier this year to Kentucky. And what kind of led you to, to start doing mission trips? Well, you're retired. And, uh, and I grew up, you know, dad was working on the house, seemed like constantly, whatever. And, and I was told more than once to make myself useful. Uh, so uh, you're retired, you have some time. And uh, it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I could make myself useful and, uh, and go help out. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Plus just the opportunity to hang out with, uh, with great folks from guys. Christian is, uh, is just a real opportunity. It's a lot of fun. I think we play hard and we, we work oh, yeah. hard and, and, and in the afternoons we play board games. Mm-hmm. Well, you get to really know people. I'd I mean, agree with a, that. It's yeah. an intense environment and you get to know one another and build pretty deep relationships. Well, and everybody's a little bit out of their comfort zone and, and, uh, you know, all the usual trappings are, are not there. And so, uh, I mean, who knew the Pelmans were just these crazy Cardinal fans. So I learned so much. I mean, every, they don't miss a game. It's so impressive. That's interesting. I mean, St. Louis Cardinals, they are St. Louis Cardinal fans. They go, uh, I mean, uh, Dale would have the game on in the evenings. Uh, Kathy would check the score. Um, and this is a tough year to be a Cardinals fan because it, it they have not been very good. Uh, and you also learn like a, a, a Rob knows how to make burgers in a way that I've, I mean, it, it, you're right. You learn about people and, and the, and, and what makes them tick, but what gets them excited. Uh, at times you can learn what can frustrate folks. You're um, living in an intentional community. You are. And, and you have to care well for one another when we're at our highs and when our lows and in a week you really can experience both. I, I've, and all the mission trips I've been on, you, you definitely have that experience. You will get hot. You will get tired. You will get thirsty. You will get hungry. You will get cranky. You know, just, just, and then it's just like take a breath. And, yeah. and you'll care, get up the next day and do it all over again. That's right. Starting with the cranky part because I get up awfully early on those mission trips. Although the last one we went on had some really comfy Tempur-Pedic beds. So it was the most cushy uh, sleeping it, arrangements we've a, ever had. Made it, it was, even harder to get out of bed. It's about to say, I think one of the nice things about mission trips is the uncomfortable beds because you're okay getting up early. But I was real comfortable. You have a comfortable bed. That's, uh, that's we, a challenge. When, when we going back, I need another night's sleep like that. <laughs> it, was, it was real nice. Well, Max, there is uh, so much more we could talk about. Um, I, I know I, I'm so thankful for you uh, coming and spending time sharing a little of, of your story and, and passion and love. And uh, it's uh, it's just always unique to hear uh, your take on history, elements of history, um, your love of games and sharing them with me and with others. Uh, one of the things that Danny and I usually always ask uh, our folks is, 
Uh, is there a movie or a podcast or a show or a book uh, that you are reading or have read that, that that our audience should check out? And and with your breadth and depth of interests, uh, you may have uh, uh, several things you would like to throw out to the audience today. Well, if if uh, you're a history nerd uh, and you wonder how things ended up like they are, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel is a mm. is a big thick book, but it, it's very interesting take on. Um, why things are how they are just based on geography and, and a million other things. Uh, so that's, that's, that was eye opening for me and very interesting. Uh, when was it published? Oh, it's, it's been a long time ago. Okay. Uh, but guns, germs, and steel is, is just kind of helps explain why is South America the way it is and why is mm-hmm. Africa the way it is and why is it's one theory that, that seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, I also like, uh, I haven't read it for a long time, and there was a TV series about this in the 70s or early 80s called The Day the Universe Changed. Mm. And it is sort of Renaissance-ish on all of a sudden painting start to depict perspective and how that changes how everyone looks at the world. There's another neat book called Against the Gods, which is a play on against the odds. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the discovery of probability and how that gets used uh, instead of just going through life and something happens, you go, well, that's just, you know, the, the will of the gods is that right. this happens. It's like, well, if we start thinking in terms of discovering probability and we can kind of predict, not with certainty, but with some assurance, the, range of outcomes and what's likely and that and the idea then that that folks have so much more control in in their lives than before those are those are three interesting kind of broad spectrum books very good max thank you for joining us thank you what a wonderful conversation as kyle said we just began scratching the surface today but we we appreciate your time thank you oh thanks for having me this has been another episode of sacred sit downs We hope you will join us next time as we explore the power of story. We can be found on all major platforms, so be sure to subscribe. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Sacred Sit Downs.